You're listening to the Business Shorts Podcast, where we interview successful small business owners in unique markets, all in under 30 minutes. If you want to start a small business and you're not sure what market to enter, or you're looking for actionable advice on how to improve your existing business, you're in the right place. For more information, show notes, and more, check out bshortspodcast.com. So today on the show, we have James Anderson, and he has made a business in the Christmas light industry. Welcome to the show, James. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. So why don't you start with a little bit about yourself? Quick background. Sure thing. I was originally born in uh, British Columbia, so I'm from Vancouver Island, the town of Victoria. I went to high school, post-secondary, and as I was coming out of school, I studied uh, tourism and adventure guiding. So I uh, I was sort of raft guiding and and ski guiding and things like that, which is a rather entrepreneurial industry. Everyone in that industry is sort of works in small business. And as a guide, you are promoting yourself just as much as the business because you're trying to bring those people onto other things. I was new. I wanted to start my own business. And a friend of mine actually he got involved in the event lighting space and he sort of told me about the opportunity and I saw it as a uh, low barrier business to get involved with, which was key because I didn't have a lot of assets to work with. And uh, yeah, I got started in it five years ago in the event lighting game. So so Christmas lights is by far our biggest seller, but uh, we've moved on to providing lighting for other other events now. So we do uh, you know weddings and parties and things like that as well. Now, are you the person actually stringing the lights up and, and designing the setups and things like that? Or what exactly goes into into your business? Yeah, great question. So my first year, that was definitely what I was doing. I was taking calls. I was driving my own truck around. I was climbing ladders. I was talking to clients like I was doing everything, right? So I, I had a partner my first couple of years and I've since bought him out. But yeah, in that time, I was, you know my partner and I, we were doing everything. So it was, it was pretty full on, but in our, in our first year, we started to hire employees. We quickly realized we couldn't meet the demand that we were experiencing. So we'd hire people on part-time to get them in there, help us out on really busy days. In our second year, we started sort of a second crew. So we'd have two vehicles going out. So my partner and I would get one employee each and we'd be working with them. And then in the third year, we expanded to have uh, crew bosses or crew leaders. Some people call them foremen, but people who are managing work on the ground. And then I moved into more of a managerial role. So I was taking all of the sales calls. I was doing all of our sales work, going out to our commercial clients and and securing work, uh, doing the planning, doing the purchasing for our inventory and everything like that. That's that's good. One question. I'm just going to hit the pause button. I think we're in the details, but I'm going to ask some questions. I think a lot of our listeners are asking because I'm thinking about them, but you do this 12 months out of the year. That's not a good assumption. What What's your business? You do Christmas lights, service and sales, but uh, you do this full time? Yes. I mean, I do it full time. Like as an entrepreneur, basically, like I work all the time. Like I will work whenever there is work, but Christmas is by far our busiest season. And that season really gets going like September 1st. So around this time of year, like we are in April right now, like I'm working on securing my wholesale distribution lights. I'm working on any training assets that my teams are going to need in September. You know, a lot of our product comes from Asia. So I need to like secure that way ahead of time, put deposits down. And I also need to keep touching base with our commercial clients because I don't want to lose those 
those relationships because a lot of them have really big projects that we work on. Um, so I just want to keep those going. I mean, it's not directly related to my business, but I also sit on the board of numerous business associations and that really does help me secure commercial contracts. And so I'm, I'm constantly doing that and playing the networking game. So although I'm not getting paid for full year round, like the, the majority of our work happens in six months. So that's incredible. Gotcha. So, so you're planning right now for the Christmas season. It never stops, man. It as soon stops. as I'm done takedowns, like we're doing takedowns right now and we're planning for 2018 right now. It's, it's a very full on. Can you tell me how many employees you have, you know, right now kind of off cycle and then how many employees you have uh, actually during the Christmas season? Cause you mentioned crews and laborers and things like that. And I imagine uh, you probably, they're just a uh, seasonal hires. They are a seasonal hire. You know, with my background in adventure guiding, it actually works out really well because in my network, I was able to hire a lot of friends who were doing things like sea kayak guiding or, you know, hiking or things like that. And all of their work sort of finishes at the end of the summer. So I'm able to provide them employment from a September at all the way through to February. And then they get a little time off. They go, you know, do an adventure of their own. And then they're back in guiding work by May or June. So it works out pretty well for them. Right now in the off season, like the only people I employ are administrative staff. So I have one girl who works in the office sort of helping me with all those things. And then I have a bookkeeper and an accounting firm I work with. James, you mentioned the incredible grade of growth that you had. And that's, I mean, that's particularly amazing to me. How do you fund all this growth? Uh, what Did you get funding of your own? Did you get external funding? How, how did you fuel your business? Yeah, great question. So I am really hesitant to take on debt. I don't really like it very much. I, I was able to get through school without you know, suffering the burden of student loans too, too much. You know, I, I tree planted every summer. I made good money in the summertime. And I was proud of the fact that I didn't have to take crazy amounts of debt for school. So when I started my business, uh, one of the reasons I really liked this model is because I could run it on cash flow. So I did invest, you know, my partner and I invested an equal amount of money for our startup costs our first year, but we used my truck. We borrowed ladders from my neighbor. We like, I did all our own marketing. I had a bit of experience in, in marketing before that, but you know, we, we did everything ourselves. So we were able to finance our growth through cash flow, at least for the first little while until we started looking at large wholesale orders and and things like that. So, uh, you know, our, our startup cost was very low. So when funding through cash flow, it seems to me that all the cash flow would come in a short amount of time, just in a couple months at the end of the year. How do you try to maintain just a level load of cash coming in the door? <laughs> it's, that is by far the toughest thing. Yeah. So that's, that's the toughest thing with running a seasonal business. Uh, it's brutal. Cash flow is, you know, for any entrepreneur, cash flow is the biggest pain. But in a seasonal setting, it's crazy because, you know, when we started getting commercial clients, you know, we were stoked because they were big contracts, but we would go out of pocket to finance their lighting and display. And then they'd be like, oh, sorry, we have a net 90 policy. Like we're, we're not going to pay you for 90 days. We're like, oh my God, like we got to pay this now. So, you know, it, it's really tough to juggle those things. So, and we didn't, we did not account for that. You know, we made the jump from doing residential work where, you know, like Mrs. Smith would give us $200 cash to working with these companies and we had to deal with their accounting firms and try and get that cash flow sorted out and, and what our policies were. We made some some bad 
uh, mistakes early on when we were signing contracts we probably shouldn't have. <laughs> so who's an example of a commercial account? I mean, I, I like Walmart and stuff. They, I mean, they don't put Christmas lights up or maybe they do, but who are like some of the examples of, of commercial clients that you have? Yeah, great question. So Walmart does not put up lights. They're pretty tight with their bottom dollar, but uh, some... Some places that would are places that are looking to have a really positive impact on walking consumers. So you're looking at like restaurants in downtown city centers. Car dealerships are always a good one. We've got a whole bunch of uh, garden centers that that purchase our lights. So so really like people who are looking for that curb appeal. And then some of our bigger Clients are business associations, municipalities, restaurant chains are a really good one. So um, you can, you know, you, in, in Canada, some of our big chains are like Boston Pizza. That's like a really popular one or the Keg uh, Steakhouse, places like that. They do have a budget for making their curb appeal higher. James, I have a, a few short questions. First one is, how long have you been doing this? Uh, we started five years ago. Okay. And uh, I guess... Uh, is it accurate to say you start off pretty much 100% residential for the first year? Uh, yep, that's right. Uh, we got we had one commercial client our first year, a golf club that we were able to get, and we underbid that. So I think we probably just broke even on it, and we've kept that. You know, we kept that client, and we've we've raised their rates like a tiny bit, so we're not losing money, but we still do their work because they've been a great referral source for us. But yeah, our first year was was 90, 95% residential. Gotcha. And what was it this past year or what would you expect it to be this year? I'd say we're 40% residential, 60% commercial now. Gotcha. And you want it to be more uh, weighted towards the commercial? Is that what you're aiming for? Um, you know, if I could get huge residential clients, I would love that. But, you know, in a business like ours, logistics becomes the toughest part of the whole operation. So I've, I've, I got three months, uh, 90 days to put up lights for an entire city. You know, we're in multiple cities now, but if we look at one as an example, we have 90 days to put them all up. And if one day is spent dealing with one client who's only going to give us $600, instead of spending three days with a commercial client where I know it's a big project and we're going to bill $6,000, like, you know, I I really have to prioritize where we're going to be. So although I do want to help all the residential clients, for sure, I need to make my logistics easy on my crews. That makes a lot of sense. And then uh, what's the split between sales versus service? Uh, like my, my time that I'm spending? Oh, no, I'm sorry. In terms of, uh, let's just say profit. What? How much of your profit actually would you say comes from sales versus how much of it comes from the services of you installing it? All right, so, so light sales versus installation? Yeah, I mean, okay. I, that's what I understood. I mean, if I'm yeah. missing anything else from your business, that's a, a large part. Yeah, insert it. No, no. I just wanted to make sure we weren't talking about servicing like any other worker or things like that. No. So we, it, the model that we originally based ourselves on was we would sell the lights to people. They would buy them from us and then we would install them and we'd store them for them free of charge. And so the next year we'd come around and we'd say like, you know, Hey, Mr. Smith, like we're ready to put your lights up. Like here they are. And they'd say, great. You know, September 30th is perfect. And we'd come by and do it. We've since changed our model to be 100% rental. So we buy all of our products and then we rent them the lights. We put them up. We you know, package their lights and uh, individually per house so we know exactly what's going into it. But if they don't want to come back with us next year, that's no problem. We've got the lights. We can turn them around and relabel them for another house and, and see how we can make them work. And the reason I switched to that model 
It's because the pricing was a lot easier for the consumer to understand. So they would come to us and say like, oh, well, how much are lights? And, you know, the first year we'd say like, well, you got to buy all the lights, this and that. Like it's going to be $2,000 your first year. But next year it's only going to be 700 bucks for the installation. And they're like, oh, it's a big investment the first year. So we switched to a model where I'm like, hey, it's, you know, $995 and it's going to be that price forever. So just, yeah, come back to me and it'll be super easy. And then I make my money back. In a couple of years on the sale of lights, you know, I, I basically install them at a loss my first year if they're brand new, but you make them back over an amortized period, right? And so we're always making money off this service, and that always is enough to pay my employees. But a lot of our profit comes from actual building assets and, and getting the lights going. Gotcha. And uh, one last question, Steve. Sorry, I'm hogging the mic here, but these lights that you talk about, are they light? Where do you pick them up? I mean, if you're willing to share where you buy them. Yeah. Yeah, we, we buy them from a, a commercial wholesaler, um, and so they come in a shipping container from Asia, and that's why we have to put our orders in so early because they have to, you know, the factory literally takes the, to, to be fair, we work through an intermediary, so we work through a wholesale distributor in the United States, uh, but we then, you know, they will do the logistics handling and the, um, the freight handling, and they'll get it shipped directly to us from China. So, yeah, that's a, that's how we do it. But in our first year, we were we were going to Canadian Tire uh, and Home Depot or wherever we could buy lights, and we were just putting them up. Like we would do whatever, um, and we weren't doing any like big wholesale stuff. We would just literally tell people like, "Hey, here's the price that Canadian Tire charges." Canadian Tire is like a big box store here. So we just say like, hey, here's the price Canadian Tire charges. Here's our price. We just added 30% and that's what it costs for us to go get it. And most of the time people are like, great. If they're really cheap or price sensitive, they'd say like, oh, I'll get it myself. Like, no problem. We can do that too. But we have since stopped installing those lights because they're terrible. Uh, They're made to explode in, in one year. I shouldn't say explode because they're not going to cause a fire, but they're not made to last. Like you storm for one year and you try and put them up again and, and, and they won't work. Like we invest in, in ex, like expensive, well, I shouldn't say expensive. They cost a lot, but they last for years and we only use LEDs now. We, we've moved everything away from incandescence and they're commercial quality stuff. So we've got restaurants that have had our lights up for five years and they haven't had a single bulb go out. Uh, they're, they're a quality product. That's very interesting because I would think that Home Depot and Lowe's, like they're buying lights from China too, but they just seem to be buying a cheaper product. They are because, well, they buy consumer grade product, right? Um, So the lights that we have, you know how you get like a strand of lights from Mm -hmm. Home Depot and there will be like 25 lights on it. And, you know, most of the time you can't replace a bulb. If you can, it's kind of a pain. And there's 25 lights. And so if you do your gutter, you know, let's say you've got a 110 foot gutter. What are you going to do? You're going to string four together and then you got a 10 foot gap or are you going to put one more and try and hide all the lights in the gutter, wrap black electrical tape around them? Like we've done all those tricks, right? With ours, we custom cut them to your exact specifications. So if yours is a 110 foot gutter, you'll get 110 feet of lights. We'll clip them off. We'll put an endpoint on it and it looks professional, elegant, really nice. And that's what, you know, that's what the businesses and homeowners are paying us for. Anyone can straighten up some lights, but to make it look real sharp, they call us in. That's really good stuff. Oh, so you, you mentioned, you know, people are paying a thousand dollars to have their lights set up. Why are they paying so much? And, and can you walk us a little bit about what you charge and what people are really willing to pay to have lights strung up on their house? For sure. You know, it, it varies what people's willingness to pay is. Uh, I've got 
I got a few, I got, here's, here's a great example. I got this one lady. She's really, really nice. And she loves Christmas. She's into it. She's a widow, but she's got like tons of grandkids and all the grandkids come to her house for Christmas. And I should say that this woman has, is very well off. She's got, you know, a very affluent family, but she has no problem spending money on things that she likes and family is one of them. And because her grandkids love Christmas, she wants these enormous trees done up in the front of her yard. She wants her whole house done in red and green lights. She wants her whole driveway lit up. It's in a very, you know, she's got a pretty big house. And so it's a lot of lights. And so this year, I think we put like 3,400 bulbs in her property and we had to rent a, a boom, 110 foot boom lift to do her two trees because they're absolutely enormous. And so, you know, and, and the bill for someone like that comes out to, you know, around $10,000. So for a client like that, she'd be spending around like the $10,000 mark. And, uh, you know, I felt the first season I did that, I felt really awkward giving her that bill and actually came over to her house in person with a bottle of wine. Like I went, I went all out. Like I bought a nice bottle of wine, like not too nice. Cause you don't want the clients to think you're making too much profit off them. But I got like a $20 bottle of wine, which I was like, okay, it's this is nice. nice and me. I had the bill, right? Or it was really nice for me too. I don't drink that stuff. So <laughs> I walk over well, this nice bottle of wine. I said, hi there. Like, uh, you know, here's her bill. She invited me into her kitchen and she's like, oh, you guys did such a good job. Thank you so much. And I was like, great. And she, she's like, oh, I don't want to get my glasses. How much is it? And I had to, I had to verbally say it, which I almost <laughs> choked on my words. Right. Cause I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe this. And she's like, oh, okay, great. And so she pulls out her checkbook and starts writing me a check. And I was like, oh, and, and, and I, I got you this bottle of wine as a thank you. And she's like, oh, James, I really appreciate it. But I just did my Christmas wine shopping. So I have $30,000 of wine in the oh basement that needs to be drank. Why don't you just keep that for yourself? And I was like, oh, my God. Like, you know, for a client like that who's spending 30 grand just on the wine for Christmas time, then like 10 grand for lights is no problem. So, you know, there's a market out there for sure. People love this stuff. You just got to find them. So do you tell her to keep it? Do you tell her to keep it and just tack $20 on the check? <laughs> you know what's funny is she said oh i thought it would have been more expensive when i gave her the bill i was like oh my god i cannot believe this <laughs> i should have charged you more <laughs> so do you charge per light or per string or what's kind of the unit of measure that you charge yeah i charge per foot now so i started just like I, when i first started i just would just go over and like eyeball places and be like oh i wonder how long it was gonna take and and try and do it that way and i try and make sure that we are always charging you know about 85 dollars an hour for labor so we've since we since increased that and then we also switched to the per foot model because i thought this makes more sense and it makes it easier for my sales guys to go in and be like oh i know exactly how much this is going to cost because this is second story which costs this much per foot is a lot easier for quoting and and uh, uh sales system so you do you have a different per foot price at the higher you are in the house and the more complex, like maybe up in a tree or something like that or second or third floor? Yeah, so we charge per strand for trees. So, you know, a strand is typically 25 feet. And so we'll charge a flat rate per strand on that depending on how high the tree is. And then we charge per foot on uh, houses or uh, buildings. And if it's, you know, there's a multiplier, if it's second story, third story, or four stories plus has a different uh, multiplier because, you know, we have to harness in and make sure we're all roped up at anything above a second story. So, uh, you know, you really got to be careful on those ones. So you collect revenue on the lights and then on the service, you said you charge an hourly rate, right? And then do you charge like a mileage charge or something like that. Where else do you collect revenue? Right now, those are our only spots. So okay. we've got basically 
light rental right now and our, our service are the two areas of revenue. Nice. James, do you mind walking us through a kind of sample income statement for a house in a medium neighborhood that, you know, wouldn't be a great project or wouldn't be a bad project, but just kind of what you would expect running the mill in terms of revenue and your cost for labor and cost for materials and then what you profit and profit margin in a, in a percentage, what it would be. Sure. I'm just going to pull up one of my invoices here. All right. So this one is for a, I call this one a medium sized house. They already had some lights, but they rented some more this year. So I had, I always include on my invoices, I say lighting design and that's free. So my unit cost on that is zero. And then I've got the lighting installation is on there for $599. And then they had a rental of 185 feet of lights at $1.10 per foot for a total of $203 tacked on there. So the total, the subtotal comes to $898.80. And then with taxes in Canada, we have 12%, or I should say in my province, we have 12% tax, bringing the total invoice amount to $1,017.52. So in that, I already owned those lights. Uh, so I'm, you know, in my first year when I was selling lights, I was we, we would mark them up at 30% would be what we were going for. We'd try and make sure we we're hitting 30%. Uh, this job, even though it was a taller, uh, higher roof. It was a flat roof, which I know you can work fairly efficiently and quickly. So my crew on this one was out there for about three and a half hours and we were able to do $600 of, uh, revenue for that because we had a height multiplier on there, but my guys were, it was easy to rope in on that job and it was easy for them to complete that work. The other expenses, I guess I should add in there, you know, there's, Logistics is the toughest thing in this because we've got crews driving all over the place and my fuel expense is is brutal. Gas prices, you know, in Canada we're we're spending about a dollar twenty per liter. So it's critical that we align jobs so that we're in similar neighborhoods to make sure that we're getting things done. So with this job, they worked this job and then they were able to move two houses down to do the next job. So, you know, stuff like that saves you an enormous amount of money and headache over the course of the season. You're able to complete more jobs. You reduce your fuel costs and you increase the efficiency of your labor as well. Nice. So five years into the business, obviously you're very experienced. So you, you, you mentioned things like a multiplier for flat roof or incline roof or maybe different size trees, whatever. You know, where did you learn to charge those types of rates? And I mean, how did you really learn how to properly price a job and still be profitable? Yeah, I went to the uh, most expensive business school around, and that one's called losing money on jobs. Um, so what what happened was I would I would quote jobs, and then we'd get out there and be like, oh my god, like we've been here for two days, and the job's still not done, and I'm I'm literally billing these people six hundred dollars. But you know, sometimes you just have to eat it. You know, uh, occasionally you can go to a client, and you know, if you've drastically underbid, and you say like. Um, listen, Scott, like, I'm really sorry about this, but this is sort of what's going on. Would you be able to either temper your expectations of what we said we could get done? Or would you mind if we were to add on X amount of money? And I would never add on X amount of money to irk out a profit. If I'm substantially underbid, I would just try and cover costs. Yeah. Uh, so if I could just recover costs and ensure I had a happy client, make sure my reviews are still good. Um, that was ultimately the most important thing to me. Um, you know, when you're in business, you're not, you're not going to make money on every job. That's for sure. Especially when you're starting out, but getting that, you know, getting those referrals and getting your name out there is, is, is very valuable. So it was worth it to me to, to try and recover like that. So what are the biggest risks in the business? 
you mentioned that sometimes you have to be tied off to be working at heights, things like that. Like, you know, there's a, there's a big risk of someone falling and hurting themselves. And I'm, I'm sure you have insurance for that. But overall, can you walk us through the risks of this type of business? So the biggest risk is definitely for my employees. Like my employees are number one. I do take safety very seriously. So I, you know, at the start of the season, I have what I would call is a fairly extensive training. So we pay for a um, working at heights course for the guys so that, you know, it's put on through the construction association in our um, region. So we send the guys there. They do like a ladder course and like they'll, they'll sign off on that and like they, they all get training on that. And then we'll do a, a series of trainings on site where we harness up and, you know, we show them how to work on roofs and everything like that to show them the safest way to do things. Make sure everyone's wearing like the, the proper clothes. It's cold in winter. It rains a lot in my region. We're in the Pacific Northwest. So you got to make sure that people are dressed for the occasion and that, you know, there's trustworthiness on the team that, you know, if you're, you know, if you're relying on your partner to hold that ladder, they better, they better be doing their job, right. And not texting on their phone or something like that. On the client side, my biggest risk is someone overloading an electrical outlet and causing an electrical fire. That would be like a nightmare scenario. I would never want that to happen. And, you know, knock on wood, we've never had that problem. We have had, you know, circuits break and things like that, um, which <clears throat> happens like a GFCI outlet is um, that's one of the ones you'd have like on the exterior of your house, which has like the a little plug with the test and the reset button. Right. Those will those are real sensitive, so they'll break before the breaker actually goes. But you know, you get those, and you just got to figure out what's going on the line. And besides that, we do work with heavy machinery as well, so we get boom lifts in and 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 things like that. If one of those were to topple over into someone's house, that would obviously be a horrible scenario. Not only for the fact that would be hurting someone's house. But if I had an operator in that boom, when it fell, they could get really injured. So all of those things are real important. And we do take, yeah, we take the training very seriously to try and mitigate all of those aspects. Do you have to pay large insurance policies to be able to cover for those things? Uh, yes, we do. So we, unfortunately, like getting seasonal insurance is a, a pain. So we have to pay for insurance year round. Um, our first year we, we got insurance and then we canceled it after the season. And then the next year when we tried to get the same one, they're like, Oh, it went up because you canceled because right away. Canceled, and I'm like, yeah. Oh, great. So, so now we have it all year round, which is the original reason why we started going to weddings. Cause we're like, well, we got this insurance. Like we should mm -hmm. keep working. Like we're paying for this asset. So yeah, since we had insurance, we were just like, Oh, we could like, we, I went onto my city, um, my, my, my city has like a, a public bid process and I'm sure like a lot of other cities would as well, but you can go on there and find out what, what people are bidding on and, or and like what projects they've got available. And I found this one for like to do the street, street light, um, for, um, like Valentine's day. And I was like, Oh yeah, we could totally do that. So we'll put some like pink and white lights up and, and stuff like that. So we we just started finding different ways to use our skills and our assets, our assets being, you know, our, our trucks, our ladders, our boom lifts and our, our guys, right. Our, our human resources. And that actually leads to my next question, booms, ladders, trucks, you know, let's say someone just is listening to this and they feel like they were born for the light business and they watch Christmas vacation every year and elf and they love. So Christmas. do I. Yeah. Everyone, everyone should. <laughs> what does someone need at a minimum to get this business started uh, in terms of just monetary amount? Sure. I started five years ago and I had a 1996 uh, Ford Explorer XLT. Great truck. Wish it was still with me. Unfortunately, I ran it into the ground. But I had, I had a 24-foot extension ladder 
and a 32-foot extension ladder that I put on the roof of that thing at a roof rack. I bought $1,500 worth of products uh, to get started, and that was a combination of bulbs, but my biggest sellers were C9 and um, C7, those are two sizes of bulbs. And I, you know, you're, you have to lead, my, I would caution people that you wanna make sure you're leading the sales process. So when someone comes to you and say like, um, well, I don't know what I want. And you never want to tell them like, Oh, why don't, why don't you think about it? And you tell me what you want. Cause they're going to tell you all kinds of crazy stuff. And they're going to be like, Oh, I want inflatable Santas. I want icicle lights. And then you're like, Oh shoot. Now I need to carry an inventory of this stuff. You got to lead the sales process and you got to tell people what they want because it's going to be what's in your inventory. So you want to make sure that you keep your inventory at a manageable amount. So I would always say to people, you know, what's going to look really good on your roof line is C9s and in your trees, I'm going to recommend a C7 and they're going to be like, Oh, thank you, James, for being a lighting expert and making my Christmas so easy. Great and advice. that's the stuff I got in inventory and that's what I sell them. And they're always really happy with the work. Great advice. James, I'm going to kind of ask a, a question that doesn't have too much to do with the market, but I, I do think it's important in terms of future growth or uh, something that a lot of people probably assume is a, you know, a side business. Um, mm-hmm. What is, what's, what's your business going to look like in five years or what's your goal? Well, my goal would be that we have a franchise in every, I shouldn't say franchise. My goal would be to have a brand recognition in every major market in Canada. So, you know, I've got a lot of work to do right now. Uh, we've worked currently in three cities in, uh, in British Columbia, but, uh, I'd love to expand to the other provinces and uh, make sure that we have a national presence. Okay. So I think we should move on to the big questions. These are the two questions that we ask everyone on the show. Um, first one is what's the one piece of advice you would give to listeners wanting to enter this market? The common objections I often hear from people, and and I got this a lot when I was getting into this, is people were saying like, one, no one's going to pay for that. Two, you can't make a business just based on a few months of the year. Three, you can't do that better than anyone else. Or, I don't know, four, I don't know how to do that yet. These are all valid points for someone who won't take the first step. But my biggest piece of advice is if you're serious and you want to start a business, you want to find one with low overhead, you know, this is this is an example of being able to do that. You know, you can overcome all of those obstacles so easily. And, you know, my first client, you know, not paying client, but client was my mom because I said, you know, hey, I'm going to do this. Can I come over to your house and put up lights? And you tell me whether you're happy with it. And of course, my mom's happy with it. But, you know, I learned a couple of mistakes when I was there. And, you know, the next time I went out, I went to a client's house, a paying client. They came over to me. They said, hey, this is what I want. I said, great. They were happy with the work. They signed off on it and they paid me. It was my first paying client. So so really, you know, the barrier to entry here is low. And I would say, take the first step if you're, if you're keen. Uh, the caveat being that this is a multi-year investment. You know, this is not affiliate marketing. This is not get rich quick. You're not going to want to get in and get out. It's not like that. If, if you're into building a business, this is, this is one you could do it with. Awesome. No, I would agree with that. Um, and the, our second big question is, uh, let's say someone does want to take a first step and they, they love your interview here. Uh, is there a resource that you would direct them towards that they could get more information? So uh, depending what market you're in, there's normally um, a couple, couple different resources you could look at. There is, 
you know, if you're really unsure of your hard skills or how to make this work, there's a, a resource called WeHangChristmasLights.com and they're based out of uh, the U.S. And they do, they have like a franchise model set up. So they will teach you and train you how to do all this stuff and walk you through the sales cycle. So I know they got a bunch of different levels of training, but I know those guys and they're good people to work with. So if you're keen on like learning how the industry works, uh, they would be a great resource to reach out to. So WeHangChristmasLights.com? You got it. Uh, where can people find more about you? Or if, if somebody wants to reach out to you, where can they find you? Yeah, right on. My uh, website is lightright.ca. That's L-I-G-H-T-R-I-G-H-T. And uh, there's a contact form on there. And my email address is there as well. You can reach me on Twitter, Twitter slash James W.D. Anderson. Awesome. Well, James, I really enjoyed the interview. I thought it was really cool, and I love how entrepreneurial you are, and you learn the hard way, and you know you didn't give up, and, and you're in a good spot right now. It's uh, really neat to hear. Thank yeah, you so much. You know, I'm not there yet. <laughs> Man, Henry, how about that interview with James Anderson? I thought it was great stuff. Yeah, I, I was smiling the whole time. I just can't get enough. What'd you think? Uh, well, I thought a lot of good stuff. Uh, some of the high-level stuff was... Uh, barriers, which we talked about, uh, very low to entry. He did it with a truck and a ladder. But uh, something I want to point out we didn't talk about was the uh, barriers for the next level to get to commercial, which requires insurance and safety training. I think he's done such a jam up job. And uh, but it's an example of keeping people at bay when you know people who are professional like James can can get to that next level. So uh, I really love that about the market. But I don't know. What do you think? You know, obviously the business is seasonal and that creates some challenges, but uh, one thing that I think can help you differentiate yourself in this business is actually having a creative spin on lighting designs. So I think that's something that not everybody out there can do, and if you're able to have a vision on how to light up someone's house, I think that'd be very, very good. Yeah. Uh, one other thing that I didn't think about was uh, not everybody lives in Whistler, including me in North Georgia. I mean, I'm not really sure if we can get a $10,000 bill for lighting someone's house. Uh, I mean, that's more than what they pay in rent for a year. So uh, that's just something to consider for people out there, you know, considering getting into this market. I will say that James actually has an axe throwing business as well. We look forward to having James back in a future episode. So stay tuned. Yeah, stay tuned. Yeah. Be sure to check out the show notes for this and other episodes at bshortspodcast.com. Let us know what other businesses you'd like to learn about and be sure to leave us a review on iTunes. See you in the next episode. You're listening to the Business Shorts Podcast, where we interview successful small business owners in unique markets, all in under 30 minutes. If you want to start a small business and you're not sure what market to enter, or you're looking for actionable advice on how to improve your existing business, you're in the right place. For more information, show notes, and more, check out bshortspodcast.com.